Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. This is Community Update on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Good morning, I'm John Hoffman. South Bend Community Schools are looking at options to reduce the number of buildings, with only about 15,000 students in buildings that could easily house 1,000 more. South Bend Schools community members have three options to decide between for its master plan. They are mixing and matching ideas. One option proposes to keep existing high schools and merge a middle school into one. Another option suggests closing a high school to use it for school programs. Something's got to give for South Bend Community Schools' master plan. The district is grappling with low operating costs, providing programming, and right-sizing their schools. That is why it's bringing in Tracy Richter, Vice President of Planning Services at HPM, to present possible options. It can't fix everything, but what it can do is align the programs the right way. It can't get buildings in the right condition. It can't give you the right program spaces in your buildings to support the educational model that your kids and teachers deserve. Only one of its high schools is close to 100% utilization. That's calculated by the building's square footage and enrollment. The other three are slightly above 50% use. On top of that, the district wants to add in a career and technical center, which is reflected in the three options. The option in this one says that we would do selective demolition at Clay High School. We would leave it as a district-wide sports and athletic complex for the district that is desperately needed. He's talking about option A. This would keep four high schools and create a new building for the Career and Technical Center. Clay IA would be converted to grades 6 through 12 performing arts slash dual language academy. Option B. Edison, this means LaSalle that moves to the Clay IA building. And then Edison is a receiving school for the Clay IA program. The last suggestion would merge middle and high schools. Clay and Riley would become 6th through 12th grade. Riley has a capacity of about 2,000, has 1,000 kids in it. You likely could probably fit a couple hundred middle school kids in that, never seen them from high school students. And so we can utilize our buildings better in this case. There's a second survey for community members to fill out. WSBT 22's Paige Barnes reporting. Meanwhile, the South Bend school system has approved a couple of new major tools to help with busing. Operation costs are down more than $2 million from last year. The district believes they will easily save another half million once the bike curve and Tyler tablet systems go into effect. South Bend Community Schools moves nearly 7,000 students a day, covering everything from elementary to high school, as well as field trips or athletic events. We were 65% late last year. But what it doesn't show is our 65% late was between 45 minutes to two hours late. We're now 95% earlier on time, and our 5% late is 1 to 20 minutes. Being more efficient with routes allowed them to reduce the nearly 10,000 calls they got each month from concerned parents to less than 800. They're hoping to do even better next year. Our bike curve system, which is a system that will help us with our on-time arrivals, um, having a screen in our dispatch that can show every bus that's on the road, kind of like a um, arrival board at the airport. The other tool is called Tyler Tablets. Instead of printing every bus route for drivers, which costs nearly $70,000 a year, it would provide GPS directions, like on a smartphone. 
It also uses student IDs to track who gets on the bus. The kid gets on the wrong bus. We don't know they got on the wrong bus. Um, you know, and then uh, and then if you have a sub driver, the sub driver doesn't know all the kids getting on the bus. Um, and so this will eliminate all of that. To add another layer of safety, students also scan when they get off the bus. A kid gets off at the wrong place to go hang out with their friends, but they didn't tell their parents and their parents don't know that. And with this system, uh, we would know exactly where they got off. These systems are scheduled to be installed during fall and holiday breaks. Drivers will be trained on the systems in January of 2023, with the systems fully online soon after. WSBT 22's Ronnie Doss reporting. There's a new program being piloted in Elkhart County to prevent child abuse, and it's aimed towards some of the smallest victims. Child care abuse prevention advocates have created a program for preschoolers. This program is already being taught in every school in every district in Elkhart County. It is an evidence-based child abuse prevention curriculum that teaches messages of safety and communication. Now, thanks to work by local child abuse prevention advocates, that curriculum has been adapted for preschoolers. These four-year-olds are touching and coloring and crafting their way toward elementary school. We are giving children the tools right now to succeed. This is the Campus Center for Young Children. It's a child care center on the campus of Goshen College. It is also where a national preschool abuse prevention program is being piloted. It's safety. It's overall safety. So how do we keep ourselves safe? CCYC Executive Director Janet Whalen-Couch has been working with children for more than 30 years. What are some safe touches? High fives, handshakes, pat on the back, a hug. She helped develop this new curriculum along with leaders from The Source at Oaklawn and CAPS. Together, they took existing lessons for kindergartners and adapted it for younger children. The biggest thing is making it age appropriate, right? So, um, you know, early childhood is a very unique niche in the development of a child. We know that, you know, zero to five is the most important time in a child's life. It's when almost 90% of the brain is developed. And so those experiences that a child has at very early ages lays the foundation for future learning. Last year, the program for older kids was launched in all Elkhart County schools and youth organizations. The lessons teach age-appropriate personal safety messages using a common language. We do know that there are more reports from kids, especially older kids, when they learn the curriculum. Part of what we see is that once kids have the language, then they can talk up to a safe adult. That consistent language is part of the reason child abuse prevention advocates wanted to get this type of programming in front of preschoolers. We want to start with our youngest children because they're our most vulnerable. Um, we see that with um, sexual abuse in particular, um, children who are younger who aren't able to verbalize are more likely to be victimized. Through kid-friendly activities and colorful artwork, the pre-K kids here at CCYC are learning how to identify a threat, what to do, how to seek help, and not to feel shame. There's also a parent element allowing families to take a role in teaching and helping protect children. The people who um, perpetrate on children are people who families know and trust. They started the lessons last week. The hope is by the fall, this preschool programming can be rolled out across the U.S. In the long run, we'll see this actually preventing kids from being abused and neglected. That's what it's all about for us, doing what's best for children. For Waylon Couch, that means this work in this community could help save children around the country. There are other pilot locations in the area and in Florida and New York. It should be ready for a full release by this next school year. WSBT 22's Kristen Bean reporting. 
Special Olympics modified returned to Mishawaka this past Tuesday. Today in Mishawaka, everyone got the chance to be a winner. Special Olympics athletes, general education athletes, all competing together. After having to do a modified version of the unified events in 2021, 2022 brought the unified games back in a big way. With friends and family members looking on, athletes from kindergarten through eighth grade showed their skills at Steel Stadium. Their families, their friends, their teachers, all the people who have worked so hard to prepare for this day. The kids, as you can see, are very, very excited, thrilled to be competing against their general education friends. This forges lifelong friendships. The return of the games in full capacity even brought one of the heads of Special Olympics for Indiana who said this isn't something he would miss. Mishawaka, particularly on the Unified Game Days for the Little Kids, really goes out of the way to make it a big event that feels like a big event. They, you know, with the, the school band comes out, and uh, the high school cheerleaders are here, and, you know, the kids from the high school help out. It, it's just a real system-wide thing. Both Special Olympics athletes and general education athletes benefit from events like today's. One of the Special Olympic competitors says seeing his friends in the crowd is all the inspiration he needs to bring home first place. When I ever see my friends, I need to go faster for them. That's awesome. It's like they're my team. I have to lift them up. It's an honor to be able to help out and take part in these games as a general education student. And the opportunity for lifelong friendships is a big motivator for some. I met like four or five kids already that made me smile, made me happy, and like I didn't know what, like, I have had so big of a smile on my face, like seeing them talk and having fun, is that just makes me so happy. Organizers say they look forward to this day all year and it's a day that they wouldn't miss for anything. WSBT 22's Leo Goldman reporting. A South Bend assisted living facility needs $31 million or it could get shut down by the state. Portage Manor is currently home to 116 residents. County officials say it might be cheaper to build a new facility than to fix the old one. Worst case scenario, half of the residents could be homeless if Portage Manor was shut down. It's not only the cost to update Portage Manor to modern times, but all the extra expenses to probably help people with health issues or those with mental disabilities. As old as the construction is and as run down as the interior of that is, it's probably going to cost us considerably more. It, it might actually cost us as much to rehab the existing facility than to build a new one. Portage Manor is a retirement home for people over 65. It's also a facility for people with physical or mental disabilities who are under that age. But it's a race against the clock to keep it open. The Manor can stay open for at least two more months to give us a little bit of time to figure out you know, a more permanent solution. Portage Manor was built in 1906 as an infirmary. Just to get it up to county building codes, it could cost an estimated $15 million. Officials say a new building would better serve the residents. To build a new building, which would be approximately double the size, um, which is required so we can be Medicaid waiver compliant and still serve the same number of people. Qualifying for the Medicaid waiver would nearly double the current reimbursement rate to the county. Beyond the facility, Portage Manor has been running without a licensed administrator for nearly eight months, an issue the county is hoping the newest administrator will help get back on track before July 1st. The hope is that we at least have um, the director, the current director, um, who could maybe begin the licensing process. So hopefully she can get that done. And even if she may not be done, if she's close, then the state normally looks favorably on that. If the county council does approve a new facility later this month, the current building could be repurposed as a place for nonprofit organizations to work out of. WSBT 22's Ronnie Doss reporting. The busiest bridge in Berrien County has been closed now for a couple of weeks after workers assigned to rehab the bridge found safety issues. 
The WSBT 22's Erica Finke reports the Napier Avenue bridge over the St. Joseph River in Benton Harbor could soon reopen to limited traffic. It's been two weeks since the Napier Avenue bridge had to unexpectedly shut down, but now there are hopes it could be open for the public just in time for the end of May. What was supposed to be a rehabilitation of the Napier Avenue bridge turned into a traffic nightmare. While crews were sandblasting at the end of April, they found deterioration under the bridge. 19,000 cars travel on the Napier Avenue bridge on a busy day, but it was too risky to keep it open to the public. It's one of the busiest bridges in Berrien County, one of the busiest roads in Berrien County. Um, so that's why the rush is to make sure that we can get this bridge back open to one lay each direction for traffic, but yet make sure that it is safe Kevin Stack says the bridge is safe and emergency vehicles have been allowed through. With all the construction, it's been congested for all the neighbors. Their priorities are the safety of those in the neighborhood and those getting to the hospital. Even though it's very noisy, there's a lot of disturbance, everyone, when they live near something important, needs to make the sacrifice. Safety is uh, my main concern for all the residents, so yeah. It's good. It's an inconvenience, but that's okay. While the construction is likely to last all summer, Stack says he hopes the bridge will allow public traffic for the start of a busy summer in St. Joe. We want it to move to make sure everything is holding in place. This is basically simulating live traffic. Uh, once we see that, uh, make sure that the tolerances are within play. We'll be able to make that determination when that bridge will be open. The bridge is still closed this weekend as the Blossom Time Parade was held Saturday. A nonprofit in Michigan is suing the U.S. government over beach erosion along the shore of Lake Michigan in Berrien County. People tell me beaches used to stretch more than 200 feet past the shoreline. As you can see, Lake Michigan has swallowed that away, along with a house that used to sit right behind me. Shoreline Alliance filed a takings claim, claiming their Fifth Amendment rights were violated by the U.S. government. The government authorized the harbor. Uh, the Army Corps of Engineers designed it, uh, but the... Uh, if the government uh, takes property from a U.S. citizen unjustly, the U.S. citizen is uh, able to uh, make a claim against that. And that's what we believe happened here. The new Buffalo Harbor was built in 1975, and members of the Shoreline Alliance claimed the designers of the harbor knew of the sand starvation it would cause. There was an agreement made that the Corps would nourish the beaches because they knew there would be a uh, blockage of sand resulting from the construction of the harbor. They did that for a period of time. Ted says the funding stopped in 1995, and the people of New Buffalo have seen very little to no support since then. We want to have enough damages to be able to pay for sand nourishment and to pay for offshore wave attenuation devices. This lawsuit is not for individual homeowners. We're not asking for personal compensation. The homeowners are gonna get no money. The money is going to go into a trust, and that trust will, will be used to nourish the beaches and construct wave attenuation devices to keep the nourishment on the beaches. Currently, this is a pending litigation, and the U.S. government has asked the Detroit Office of Army Corps Engineers to answer the complaint. I called to see if they would comment, and they referred me to the Department of Justice, and they requested 60 days for review. WSBT 22's Ashley Dagger reporting. Views and opinions expressed are those of the individual speaking and do not necessarily reflect the views of WSBT Radio, its staff, or management. Join us next week for Community Update on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT.
Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 